0: So Hebrews chapter 3 tonight, continue going through the book of Hebrews. And before we start, uh, doing our regular reading, uh, through the book of Hebrews, you know, we're just gonna continue going verse by verse through this. I want to point out a couple of verses before we get to this. And because I wanna, as I teach what Hebrews 3 is showing us, I wanna kinda of give you an example of bad, you know, ways bad theology comes about. Okay, because one of the things I'm always talking about is, you know, how important it is that you look at context and you can't just zero in on one verse and run with it. I've talked about how uh, the dispensationalists will talk about how Hebrews is kind of a dangerous book because that's, you know, you see people losing their salvation in there. And I keep saying you don't see anybody losing their salvation in the book of Hebrews. You don't see anybody losing their salvation anywhere in the Bible. But let me just show you a couple of verses that the dispensationalists will use to prove that and and the dispensationalists, if you're a fundamental King James Baptist, you are not going to get very far in the IFB world. If you are not a once saved, always saved person, you've got to believe in eternal security. That's just all there is to it. And the, you know, in the dispensational world, you know, these people are infiltrators in the, fundamental Baptist world. They are infiltrators. And so if they come along and talking about losing your salvation, they're going to get run out of most fundamental Baptist churches. So what they do is they teach in eternal security in this dispensation. But they don't believe in eternal security in the Old Testament and they don't believe in eternal security in the tribulation. And so what they'll do is when he gets to Hebrews, they'll take Hebrews through Revelation and they'll kind of call them the tribulation epistles and so they'll teach that you don't see eternal security in these books because they are for the jews in the tribulation and that's just beyond stupid all right that that's beyond stupid but guys are teaching that and there are people in fundamental baptist churches that are teaching that kind of stupidity and they're thinking well maybe the dispensationalists got something because they don't know under, know how to explain these verses well Let me help them tonight, and let me help all of you while I help them. But let me, let me show you how they'll take the scriptures and spin things. Look at verse 6, alright? It says, But as Christ, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence of the, and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Y'all see that? Y'all see that if in there? You, you gotta hold on firm unto the end. I mean, right there is teaching. You know, you can lose your salvation, right? So you got to hold on to the end. Hey, he that endureth to the end shall be saved, right? And we know he, Matthew 24 is talking about the tribulation. And it says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So it's crystal clear in the tribulation dispensation, there is not eternal security. Because if a saved person takes the mark, they're going to lose their salvation and I don't have time to get into the Mark of the Beast, and Matthew 24 and all that stuff and what that means. But they will take that verse and tie it in there. Doesn't that sound like that? I mean, doesn't that sound similar? Look at what it says in verse um, 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And look at Verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. Alright? So does Sam Giff have something, folks? Alright? You know, is this a tribulation epistle? Is this something that's for the Jews? You know, eternal security for everybody but the Jews? Alright? Or are these people just taking this passage completely out of context? Are they just completely ignorant? of what the scriptures mean. And so let's go ahead, let's go verse by verse because this is what the dispensationalists will do. They'll just take those select verses like that. They'll tie it to Matthew 24 because they kind of sound alike. Okay? You know, and and they'll do that where they'll take uh, maybe a kind of a unique phrase in the Bible and when it's used in different places, they'll tie those together even if they don't go together. I just saw that with the dispensationalists with the whole times and seasons. You know? I mean, it's the times and seasons here, it's the times and season there and just like, Are you kidding me? That doesn't even make sense. But that is a classic dispensationalist trick. And right here, I mean, I probably just convinced some of y'all that this is a tribulation epistle after those verses I just showed you. Well, let's go through all of chapter 3 and you will see very clearly that that is a bunch of baloney, that that is not the way uh, we interpret this. And I need to get my notes out, but let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, "...wherefore, holy brethren..." Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Alright, so notice the apostle that's mentioned there, it's with a capital A. Notice this apostle is mentioning, it's talking about Jesus Christ, and so in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he had told them, he was explaining how Jesus was better than the angels, how he took on himself the seed of Abraham. Jesus made himself a little lower than the angels, Alright, And then in chapter 3, he's going to show how Jesus is our apostle and our high priest. So once again, the writer of Hebrews, I still think it's Paul. All right, Just opinion. Just opinion. I think, I think it's Paul. It's like he's talking to these Jews and he is just trying to show them that, hey, Jesus is what we've always been about. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one we've been looking for. And he's given them all these Old Testament scriptures. And so look at verse 2. It says, uh, who was faithful to him that appointed him? As also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who had built the house hath more honor than the house. Right here, he's trying to show them that Jesus was better than Moses, who the Jews held in the highest regard. I mean, it was not Mo- Moses and Abraham are like the main guys that the Jews talk about, and right here. The writer is showing them how Jesus was better than Moses. Because these, these Jews, they were loyal to Moses. Okay? They were loyal to that law of Moses. You know, they followed Moses. And when they say we're following Moses, you know, it, it means you know, they're talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy. They're talking about that Old Testament law. That we follow Moses. And he's trying to show them that, hey, Jesus is better than Moses. And so you're not doing anything wrong by following after Christ. It says in verse 4, For every house is built by... Or let's start verse 3 again. So no, it says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. For Mo- and Moses verily was faithful in all his house, is a servant for a testimony of those things... Which were to be spoken after. So he's saying here in verse three, you know, what has more glory, the house, the building, or the builder? Okay, I mean, wouldn't be. I mean, when you stop and think about it, okay, you know, let's take this building. We had a nice building here. It, it, It would be kind of foolish for us to look at this building and be more impressed with it than the one who built the building. I mean, who's better, the builder or the building itself? Okay? Obviously, the builder, okay, this building didn't build itself. Somebody built it. So why would we make a bigger deal about the building than the builder? Okay? Because this this didn't just happen. Somebody did this, and so the builder should get more glory than the building, is what he's saying right here. And so the you know in Hebrew or the Jews, um, they had Basically, they had higher regard for the creation, which are the Jews themselves. They made a big deal about themselves, didn't they? Because of the fact that they were Jews. They made a big deal about their traditions. But where did they come from? They came from God. Where did their traditions come from? Where did their law come from? It came from God. But yet we see the Jews had this problem of elevating themselves and rejecting God. You know what they were doing? They were worshiping the creation of, More than the Creator. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. And it says, uh, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know how foolish that is? To praise creation over the Creator? To praise anything that is on this world that was all made by God. Why would we make a bigger deal about something, about a creation? Than the Creator. So these Jews, everything they had, everything they knew, it all came from God. And it was foolish for them to make a bigger deal over the creation, whether it be their customs, whether it be their law. For them to, to make a bigger deal of that than God himself was completely foolish and absolutely made no sense at all. He's trying to reason with them here. He's trying to get something across. Remember, he's talking to a group of people. He's talking to a a religion who, at one point, were the true religion. Okay, who were God's people. All right. So let's go ahead and let's keep looking at a few things. So verse six that we read. uh, Let me look at that again. Says, "But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence." And the rejoicing of the hope unto the end. So, verse 6 is explaining that Jesus Christ is the head over this house that they were worshiping. Okay? Hey, this body of believers, okay? This body of believers that we have right here, you realize Jesus Christ is the head over it. So, why would we make a bigger deal about us than him? That's why, in all things, he should have the preeminence. He is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. And it would be foolish for us to get real caught up in ourselves and not pay much attention to Jesus. You know, to leave our first love, to not to not love Him with all our heart and soul. And so they were in danger of rejecting the Creator. If they reject Christ, they are rejecting the Creator. And I don't know for sure where these Hebrews were and at what point this was and the timeline of everything. But it's very clear here that whoever's writing Hebrews, you know, he's going and he's addressing some Jews who needed to continue in the truth and accept the Messiah. Because before, when they were keeping those customs, when they were keeping the feasts, when they were doing the sacrifices, were they not doing the will of God? But they need to continue doing the will of God. As a group, as a people, they need to continue on. They need to move on. They need to continue being the people of God. And the way they continue being the people of God is not by being Jews, but it's by being believers in Christ. But they, many Jews, they rejected Christ to hold on to their traditions, to hold on to those old customs that were made by Jesus. That is foolish for them to do that. And so they were, they were in danger of rejecting the Creator in order to serve the creation that could not save them. Okay? Because you know how, it's, it's later it says in Hebrews, you know how the bull of go- blood of bulls and goats couldn't wash away sins. But wait, who told them to do that? It was God that told them to do it, wasn't it? God's the one that told them to do those things. But at the same time, what was it that got them saved? Was it the blood of bulls and goats? Or was it the blood of Jesus Christ? What was it sa- that saved them? Was it the work of sacrificing the animals? Or was it their, the fact that they believed God? And then they showed their belief by doing the sacrifices and things like that. So these people, they're in danger if they reject Christ of no longer being the people of God. Okay, not losing individual salvation. I'll show you that here in a little bit because it gets real clear later in this chapter. Okay, so, you know, these Hebrews as a group were a part of the house of God. There is no doubt in the Old Testament that the children of Israel, that was the congregation or the church. That was the house of God. It wasn't the church. Congregation and church are used interchangeably. It's it's, it's the same thing. Don't let the dispensationalists throw you on that. So they were, they were a part of the house of God, but if they did not accept Christ, they would lose that position. They would no longer be a part of the congregation. They would no longer be the people of God. And Jews, like the disciples, they were a part of Israel before they got saved, weren't they? Okay, If, if you were a Jew, if, if you were born a Jew, you were, you were born into Israel, weren't you? You were one of the chosen people. Now, did being one of the chosen people make you saved? No, it did not. But you were just automatically, by birth, one of the chosen people, born into the right religion, but it didn't make you saved. We're going to see that. But when they got saved, okay, when the disciples got saved, they continued being a part of Israel while the unbelievers were broken off. Okay, like we see in Romans chapter 11. You know, the unbelieving branches, they were broken off. They no longer were a part of the people of God. They can be graphed back in if they will get saved. But as a, as a group, those who were a part of the house of God. Now, none of the Jews today were ever a part of the house of God. They never were. But this generation was. This generation that's being written to, they were a part of the people of God. They were a part of the house of God. But it didn't mean they were saved. But they were a part of that group and they, got bro- and they got broken off because of unbelief. They rejected the Messiah. And so, uh, you know, Jews like disciples were a part of Israel before they got saved, but when they got saved, they continued being a part of Israel. Unbelievers were broken off and you know no Old Testament economy Jew, for lack of a better term, ever lost their individual salvation. Okay? You can't find anybody in the Old Testament that lost their, that was saved and lost their salvation. Okay, It didn't happen. They had eternal security back then. But the Old Covenant Jews who rejected Christ lost the kingdom and their special position. They no longer are God's chosen people. They no longer are the people of God. They no longer have God's favor. They no longer are the right religion. They did not move on. They did not continue. They did not follow They did not follow Christ and therefore they are, you know, they're done. They are done. Their only hope, God has concluded them all in unbelief so he can have mercy upon all. Now they can get saved just like anybody else. That's all they've got. That's all Jews are. Jews are nothing more than just another person that needs to get saved. They are not a special race, a special chosen people. They are people that need to get saved like everybody else. And so, uh, no Jew in the Old Testament ever went to heaven just because they were a Jew. And you know, even dispensationalists don't claim that. You know, I've talked to dispensationalists about this. They don't even believe that every person that was born a Jew went to heaven. Okay? N- none of them make that claim. And so, just like no one here is ever going to go to heaven just because they're a part of this church. Okay? So, you know, you think about, you know, you think about the, the babies in this church and little children in this church that haven't reached that knowledge of accountability. They're a part of our church, aren't they? You know, they're, they're a part of our church. But you understand that if they, there's going to come a point, though, where they reach that knowledge of accountability. And if they reject Christ, then they won't be a part of this church anymore, will they? And, and the thing is, even though we recognize them as part of the church now, does that mean they are saved? Absolutely not. And so it was the same thing back then. Everybody's got to make a choice. Everybody's got to make an individual choice. And it was always that way with the Jews. Every Jew had to make an individual choice. Every Jew had to believe God in order to be saved. And if I was born in a Baptist church, but I had to get saved too. I was, I've been taught you know, the right religion and the things of God, the right way of salvation since I was a baby. But it, none of that ever made me saved. I had to believe myself in order to be saved. And he, and I, if I would have lived my entire life practicing Baptist stuff, and then but never believe myself, never called the Lord for salvation myself, I wouldn't have gone to heaven, would I? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been saved. So you know, um, look at verse seven. So in verse seven, this is where it starts. To get it starts to get clear. So. Because he's kind of showing, hey, it was always this way. All right, remember, he's talking to a group. So when it says in verse six, you know, but uh, Christ as the Son over His own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. So this isn't talking about you know, he that endureth the end should be saved like that. It's telling these people, hey, you had something that was right. You had something that was true. You were a part of the house of God, the people of God, but the Messiah has come and you've got to believe on Christ now in order, and he's talking to a congregation here in order to continue being the people of God. Okay. Now understand that there are no groups like that today. Okay. We would not talk to anybody like that today. We would not go to the Jews today and say, listen, you know, y'all need to hang on to what you've got. Don't reject it. Don't let go of it. Why? We wouldn't tell them that, would we? You know why? Because what they have is false. These people in their lifetime, they've never had the truth. Okay? Where these people did. And, but yet many, many Jews we see in the Bible didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah, and they, they were unbelievers, and therefore, they did not get saved. And as a whole, okay? As a whole, Israel and Jews, they rejected Christ, didn't they? As a whole, those who believed on him and got saved, they continued being the people of God. Even though things had changed, they continued to be a part of the congregation. They continued to be a part of the church. They continued to be a chosen people. Those who were Jews, a part of that congregation before, and were now transitioning into the New Testament church age for lack of a better term got a lot of dispensationalism in my head you know but you know those they, they did they transitioned they moved on they held on to what they had but those who rejected Jesus as the Messiah they lost what they had a, a, as a people and so we're going to see here too that it was it was still always an individual thing so look at verse 7 it says wherefore as the holy ghost saith today if ye will hear His voice. Harden not your hearts, Is in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted Me, proved Me and saw My works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said they do always err in their heart, and they have not known My ways. So I swear in My wrath, they shall not enter into My rest. Take heed therefore, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You see, what they had, it was the truth. They needed to hold on to it and they needed to move forward with it. Kind of like the children of Israel, way back in the Old Testament, they were in Egypt. But what did they need to do? They needed to leave Egypt, didn't they? They needed to cross the Red Sea. And then God wanted them to cross over to Jordan, to the Promised Land. But many of them, they didn't believe God. They provoked them. We're going to look at that in a little bit. And those ones, they died in the wilderness. Those ones were lost. They did not go to heaven. While those who believed, guys like Joshua and Caleb, they went on they moved on they were the people of god when they left egypt and they were they remained the people of god going into the promised land why because they believed and many jews those in the wilderness they were the people of god when they came out of egypt but you know what they didn't those who did not believe god they died in the wilderness and they did not move on and we see here kind of the same things happening in the new testament they're the people of god jesus christ comes he pays for their sins, but many didn't believe, and just like their forefathers who died in the wilderness, they died in their unbelief, and they went to hell. And so, let's keep on, let's keep on reading. Um, it says, verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the Sorry, I read that. Uh, verse 15, will read. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, how be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he, he grieved forty years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and in whom sware he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Y'all see that theme of believing in there that was even in the Old Testament? They didn't believe God, so they didn't get to enter in. And so he's telling these Jews who had the truth, who had the right religion, that hey, you better believe God. You better accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. If you don't, you're not going to enter in. You're going to get left behind You're going to die in the wilderness and you're not going to move on. And so nowhere in here is this showing an individual can lose their salvation. He's talking to a group of people that had the truth and showing them how, hey, if you're not careful, you as a group, you're going to depart from the living God. You're going to lose what you had and you're going to die in the wilderness. Not all of them. You know, those who get saved, you're going to move on going to the promised land. You're going to, there's going to be the Joshuas and the Calebs that are going to move on, but the rest, you're going to die in the wilderness. And so he told me, you know, so the writer of Hebrews, he's explaining not everyone that came out of Egypt was saved. And the reason that many of them weren't saved is because they did not believe God. And you see that throughout there, and God allowed those who believed to enter in the promised land as a picture of those who will go to heaven. And so look what it says in verse 12. In verse 12, uh, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be uh, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. He's warning them not to reject God after all God's done for them and after all the proof he's given that he's God. After all those things that Jesus did, why would they not believe? Well, let me ask you this. After all that God did for them in Israel, Egypt, why would they not believe? After all those plagues, after those 10 plagues, after the parting of the Red Sea, after the water coming out of the rock, after the manna from heaven, after all these things, how could you not believe God? Well, many of them didn't, did they? And he's trying to warn them, hey, don't do like your forefathers did in the provocation when they provoked him in the wilderness. You better believe this time. Hey, let's learn from the mistakes of our fathers and not do the same thing that they did. Because even though they were Jews, even though they were the people of God, they didn't enter in, they didn't go into the promised land because of unbelief, and y'all are at a crossroads right now, and you better make the right decision, or you're not gonna move on, and you're not gonna continue being a part of the people of God, you're not gonna go to heaven, you're gonna die in the wilderness, just like they did. And so what was that provocation in the wilderness? What specifically was that? Many people, uh, many of the commentators and things I was reading was talking about how it was, you know, the water, uh, when he they were complaining about not having anything to drink, you know, where they end up having the water come out of the rock. But I believe it's personally in uh, uh, turn over to Numbers chapter fourteen. Numbers chapter fourteen, I want to sh- I want to show you it specifically mentioned how they provoked God in the wilderness here. Numbers chapter fourteen and verse one. So it's, it, we, it's important that we go back and look at the story he's referring to. To help us understand this. So, there's an, in verse 1, and this, now this is after Moses has sent the spies in to go, you know, check out that land. And remember, the spies came back, 10 were bad, two were good, you know, and Joshua and Caleb, we can take these guys, the other 10, no, they've got giants, there's nothing we can do, and what are the people doing? They're panicking. They don't believe God. Even after all God's done, they're listening to the naysayers. And it says, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Man, that had to have made God, it did make God mad. After all God did for them, you're going to let some giants scare you? I can part the sea. And you're scared of some giants. God was not happy. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, and that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which was were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. And if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is. With us, fear them not, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they they believed me for all the signs which I have showed among them? So right here we see God specifically mentioned, they're provoking me. When are these people going to believe me? After all I've done, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they oh, God would never disinherit Israel he threatened to right then and almost did but Moses stopped them All right? Moses stopped them and you know what he didn't he did disinherit them later and that you know in the after they rejected Christ look says verse thirteen And Moses said to the Lord then the Egyptians shall hear it for thou brought us up this people in thy might from among them and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land for they have heard that Thou, Lord, art among this people, that the Lord art seen face to face, and that the cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime, and a pillar of cloud, and a pillar of fire by night. You see, Moses, he's kind of acting like Jesus Christ here. He's kind of being an advocate, he's being an intercessor here. And notice, um, well, I'll oh, see, I, I skipped over the verses. Um, it was, oh yeah, in Deuteronomy, you don't have to turn there yet. But in Deuteronomy, it was prophesied that there was going to be a prophet that was going to come like Moses. Okay, what do we see Moses doing right here? Moses is getting between God and children of Israel, isn't he? Here they are sinning. Moses gets in between them, kind of acting as an advocate. We see one time where God was going to kill them and Moses was like, you know, blot me out of your book. He was willing to die for the people. Is that not exactly what Jesus did? And look what it says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. I will raise them up a prophet, with a capital P, from among their brethren, like, uh, this is verse 18, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word uh, which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, Thou shalt not be afraid of him. So we see in that passage, a pretty familiar passage, he was making a prophecy about Jesus that he was going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses. Or like, and, he, and Moses said, like unto me. And in the New Testament, it was quoted, I think in the book of Acts where he's preaching. And he said, hey, it was prophesied. It was going to be a prophet like unto Moses. And that was Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting that the writer, writer of Hebrews mentions, he's mentioning Moses and showing how Jesus was better than Moses and showing the comparison of Jesus and Moses. Once again, just showing these Jews that, hey, this is exactly, you know, y'all are wanting to be loyal to Moses. Moses said that there was going to be a prophet like unto him that was going to come that you need to follow. You, if you all accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you're listening to Moses. And isn't that what, exactly what Jesus said, "If you believe Moses, the prophets, you believe me because they spoke of me." So Jews who followed Christ were not doing anything against God. They weren't doing anything against the law. They weren't doing anything against Moses or Abraham. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do, but yet many of them didn't do it. They rejected because of unbelief, and they ended up, they, they ended up dying and going to hell. And the people of God now are a congregation of people, Jews and Gentiles from all over the world. And Jews today are nothing. They're nothing. They need need to join up with us and become a part of the people of God because this generation never has been the people of God. And so we um, look at Psalms 106, verse 23. So we see very specifically where it was where they provoked uh, the Lord in the wilderness. And it says, uh, well, Psalms 95, I'll look at Psalms 95, verse Psalms 95.8 says, Harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. and said it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. We just read that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 quoted that very passage of Scripture. Psalms 106 verse 23 Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Is that not exactly what the Jews did? Here you had Jesus in between them and God. You have Jesus on the cross Taking the punishment of their sins upon himself, and yet they didn't believe his words either, just like those in the wilderness didn't believe Moses' words. History is repeating itself is exactly what is happening in the book of Hebrews during that specific time, and so that um, he's bringing up that provocation of wilderness. you all you all know every Jew knew. That that generation in the wilderness was a bad generation. What, would they, what did they do wrong? They didn't believe God. They did not trust in His Word. They were, and every one of them knew about what it says in Psalms. They sang those Psalms. They sang about the provocation in the wilderness. And it was specified in the book of Psalms that their problem was they did not believe God. And therefore, they did not enter into His rest. And so right here, He's telling them again, this is it, this is exactly what was talked about. This is where you're at right now. Don't do the same thing. Don't be like them in the provocation. You need to believe the Lord. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. And you doing that, you're not going against your traditions. You're not going against your old religion. You are continuing in that. You will continue being a people of God. But if you don't, if you reject, you will lose that. But can anybody see in there where it shows an individual losing their salvation. No, just like the children of Israel, they were born in being the children of Israel, but they had to get saved. These people need to get saved. And those who believe God, they did. They got saved. They continue being the people of God. So, these Hebrews, they should have been well aware of the importance of believing by faith. This should have just been second nature to them. They should have understood this very clearly. But we see that there is nothing in Hebrews 3 showing that someone was ever capable of losing their salvation. It's, it was a warning to the people of God to move forward and accept Jesus as the Messiah so they could continue being the people of God. So, it's, it, I do believe that the book of Hebrews has some special application for a specific group, doesn't it? Okay? There, and so, what would that be? Well, it, that group, of course, was that generation of Hebrews that were a part of the people of God who were a part of the true religion who needed to move on and accept the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That This this book is clearly geared towards a, a specific generation, but at the same time, you know, all Scripture is given for inspiration of God. It's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And so what are we learning from this? What have you and I learned from Hebrews chapter 3 that we can apply today? Well, one thing that we can see... Is that you know what we better believe God, you know we better believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what are some of the things we can learn? We can learn that Jesus was what the Old Testament was all about. He was that prophet that was like unto Moses. Those who got saved, how do you people get saved? Same way they got saved in the Old Testament. They believe God. I mean, right there, we you know we learn some strong things that can strengthen our faith strengthen our doctrine when it comes to the things of salvation, being reminded that it was never by works. And you know what? Paul would bring that up even when he was talking to the Romans. And you know, most people believe that there was a mixed group there, that there were Jews in there too. And so what did he keep doing? He kept going back to the Old Testament. Hey, even Abraham, he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. He received salvation before the circumcision. What's he trying to do? He's trying to show them that this salvation that we're preaching today is the same salvation that was always preached. And so can you see, and another great lesson that we need to learn from this, that we need to get, is that if we're not careful, I believe even us as Baptists, we can become way too steeped in tradition. Do we not believe that Jesus Christ is the head of this church? Well, if he's the head of this church, wouldn't it be foolish of us to put things above him? For us to take our doctrinal statement that we put together. Okay, now why do we have a doctrinal statement? Shouldn't the Bible be the doctrinal statement? We have a doctrinal statement so we can just show people, hey, here's, some, here's what we're all about. Just something real clear. You obviously, if somebody comes to this church and they want to know what we're all about, we can't just say, here you go. You know, because a lot of religions would say that, wouldn't they? So what do we do? We get specific on certain things because it helps identify us. It helps show who we are. But at the same time, our doctrinal statement can be an error. Our doctrinal statement might not be rightly divided. Our, you know, we might make some mistakes in that. And yet, you know, a, a lot of our practices that we do—they're just traditions, aren't they? Our service times, the way we run our service—you know—just uh, th- these things are just tradition and are we not capable of doing the same thing where we can start to put those traditions above god and get to a point where we are more about being baptist which at best is a creation of god all right did he not build this church but yet there's people today and i'm 100 percent for learning about baptist history i think that's i think you know there's that's profitable to a certain extent, I guess that's okay to do that. But we got guys today that are trying to hold us to Baptist tradition, talking about our Baptist fathers and you know going back, because they, they found some guy, what he wrote in the 1600s that was a Baptist, and it goes against what this book says. And they're saying, no, we got to stick to that. We got to follow that. This is what our Bible college said. You know, this is what our ascending church said. We've got to stick to that. Wait a minute. Are we going to submit ourselves to the creation or the Creator, Jesus Christ? And the truth is, the way I look at it, while I've broken tradition in certain areas, I personally believe I am continuing to do what my religion has always been about because it's always been, this is the final authority right here. Yeah. And so, if I change something, it's because I'm, do, I'm continuing on with what I've been taught. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to become more like Christ. But yet, we see Baptists today doing the same thing. They've gotten caught up in some traditions and things and they're not willing to move forward. They're not they're not willing to go on and they're stubborn They're stiff-necked, like the Jews were, who were so into how things were for them that they they were not willing to follow their own book, their own laws, and and he's trying. The the writer of Hebrews is trying to show them this is what you've always believed, this is what you've always taught. You just didn't realize it. And that's what I'm always trying to tell these preachers: You're the one that taught me. So let the Bible be the final authority. If you if you do what I'm doing, you are just going to be doing what you've always said we should do. But tradition it overrules things sometimes, doesn't it? And so right there, just kind of an overview of Hebrews chapter three. No losing salvation right there. Absolutely not. This is not a tribulation epistle. This is not going to go back into effect when the tribulation starts. That is just a classic example of people who do not know how to rightly divide the word of truth, who do not look at scriptures in their context, who are trying to make select scriptures fit bad doctrine. And so next time you hear them try to use verses like that, you go tell them to jump in a lake. Or better yet, you know get saved and then go jump in the baptistry and get baptized (laughs) and move forward for God. So with that, let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for all Your blessings. We thank You for Your goodness to us. And we thank You for saving us, Lord. And I pray You'll help us to uh, not get all caught up in tradition, Lord, to to the point where we're rejecting You and uh, not willing to move forward and become better Christians. I pray You'll help us with that. Dear Lord, in Your name we pray. Amen.